as a pastor, I don't think people know how much correction is involved. They often feel that according to the New Testament or the modern church, that a pastor's sermonic job is to only exhort, to encourage, and they negate and forget all of the scriptures that talk about correcting, reproving, rebuking, chastening, and even scourging, but that's done by the Father, not by the people, amen? And so when people are put on blast, not directly, but indirectly, hello somebody, and correction comes, has to happen a lot based on how stubborn you are. Now, the, the, the difficulty about pastoring or shepherding an entire flock is that not everybody in the flock is the same. Some people, and some of y'all got kids, y'all might know. One kid, you can just give them a stern talking to and they just fall all apart. Just start crying and you just give them a bad look and they just, Ugh. The other kid, you got to darn near kill them. And this, this could be in the same family, same mama, daddy, same everything. They ate the same food, they sleep in the same house, but yet they respond uniquely different. Hello? And so quite often I get some sheep that think they know best. They've never shepherded anything a day before and they never even led nobody nowhere. Hello, somebody. They want to tell me how I should handle an entire flock. Hello? And so there are certain things and methods that work for shepherding a flock which means I might have to correct often because some of our flock are stubborn. Hello, somebody. Maybe it's not you. Maybe you just have to be told and reasoned with one time. One time. And after that, you've got it. And, and you could be the person that no one ever needs to raise their voice or get intense with you because just a calm, quiet voice works for you. Do you understand? And, and that's fine for you. Hello, somebody. But the thing about being in a flock, hello, somebody, is that I don't know if you had siblings or not, but when all the kids is getting in trouble, everybody get the same discipline. If somebody broke this vase and nobody said nothing, everybody getting the switch, not just the one that likes the switch or can handle the switch. Hello? Okay, well. I just thought you should know, amen? So today, when I have to do even more correcting, which I don't enjoy, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I prefer jokes and good times over all of us being uncomfortable. But I will do it because I love the benefits of doing whatever God has told me to do. Hello, somebody. Amen. Everybody's like, yeah, Pastor, you're saying a lot of words, but really what you're going to boil down to is you're about to come for us. Yes. Yes, I am. And I tried to get this done sooner. I tried to get it done before Easter so it wouldn't be looming. Y'all remember I told y'all, I really want to get to Hebrews 4, 3, 4, and 5 <laughs> before Easter. So that way I don't have to deal with it on Easter. But thanks be to God, uh, there was a, a resurrection message in Hebrews before verses 3, 4, and 5. Amen. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And let's pick up right there 
Amen. Are you there in Hebrews? On last week, on our resurrection message, we left off at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Understanding the priestly order of Melchizedek is elaborated on within the book of Hebrews. And one of the New Testament scriptures that mentions, Paul's teachings mentions the Melchizedekian priesthood most often. Uh, showing that Christ is in that order of priests and also showing that we are supposed to be called after that same order. Amen. So t Hebrews 12 and 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's where we left off. This set down at the right hand of the throne of God last week and how this is a direct quote from David's Psalms and some other verses but it is always paired with the right hand throne of God is paired with putting your foot on your enemy's neck or making your enemy your footstool and so that's where we came from in last week and establishing and understanding that Joshua has a wonderful uh, uh, symbolic story and battle of Christ's death burial resurrection and uh, it was mind-blowing to all of us but it shows the direct sovereignty of the Bible because no one could have planned that. No one could have fulfilled that great mighty battle where the kings that came against uh, Joshua were put into a, tone, a, a stone tomb and a stone was rolled in front of the mouth of that tomb. And then Christ loving that battle and the victory of that battle then replicates that in his own death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? So then we go on to Hebrews 12 chapter three, I mean ch chapter 12 verse three and four. And he says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Uh, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. <sighs> Paul is trying to encourage believers to consider something. Now, as we discussed, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish believers of that time. Mm -hmm. All right. Most of them are still participating in Jewish traditions of sacrifice, sacrificing lambs and sheep and goats. And they're participating in all of these behaviors. And Paul is trying to convince them that that temple, the way you sacrifice with animals and everything, that's coming to an end because that sacrifice has been fulfilled in Christ. And we no longer have to sacrifice goats, sheep and pigeons. Right. Um, but these particular group of believers, apparently within the book of Hebrews, we see the theme that they are having a hard time with this. Um, not only that, but there's a redundancy in how often Paul is trying to encourage this particular Hebrew church. Okay. It is said that they are in Italy, which is where we're going for our vacation next year. All of us. Amen. Um, they're in Italy and Paul is writing back to them to, in order to encourage them in something. Mm -hmm. Apparently things have gotten difficult for the Hebrew church. They've gotten a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. At some point you see that he's encouraging them that they would remember how they first felt when they first came to Christ. Mm -hmm. Now this particular church in Italy is similar to Paul himself in that they did, they did not grow in Jesus's teachings while he was on the earth, but they heard of his teachings through apostles. Does that make sense? 
So they never, they weren't Peter, James, and John who was walking with Jesus every step of the way. They just saw it, Paul just saw it from a distance as he persecuted the church of Jesus' day. But the teachings and understandings of who Christ is and was and what he came to do, he got that from apostles. Does that make sense? He was taught that from the actual disciples. Yes? That is problematic. And over time, you can tell that they become extremely uh, 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 discouraged along the way um, because of that. It is said that at the time that this letter is being written, <clears throat> the church was under great attack. They had been told at some point to leave their home, told at some point to leave the land that they were familiar with, and all of their, the camaraderie that was felt, and they had to flee under the emperor Claudius. And a lot of people had to go in hiding, lost their land, lost their money, lost their jobs for the cause of believing in Christ. And initially, it would seem that this was all good in the beginning. Hello? Y'all don't think you've ever been there. It seems real good in the beginning when you recognize that you're called to the battlefield of Christ in the beginning. You recognize that you're called to forego certain things in the beginning. You recognize that you need to be holy in the beginning. You recognize that you need to be, be valiant in battle in the beginning. You recognize that you need to serve God passionately and fervently in the beginning. And, and if I die, let me die. Hello, somebody. But I will serve the Lord. And for Christ I live, for Christ I die. And all of this is very awesome in the beginning. I love Jesus and you're radical and you're fired up and you're passionate and oh, that ain't nobody but the devil. You can see so clearly Satan and you can see so clearly the kingdom of God and you can't fathom why other people are out here with the Satan when God is so good in it. And you remember that passion that you felt about how you love God. But apparently this changed for the Hebrew church. And Paul is addressing something that he's noticing that is beginning to, to fester within the body. That somehow people are becoming discouraged along the way. That the loss of comforts, the sacrifices of things that they think they want and need, the pain, the suffering, the going without, the ridicule, the humiliation. Hello, somebody. Oh, so you don't, you going to church every day? Oh, 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 well, that's probably why you ain't got no money because you gave it to the pastor. Oh, 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 oh. And all of this ridicule begins to have an effect on them as they are already going without so much. See, maybe y'all ain't there today, okay? Maybe, maybe you still at the passionate turnaround. Hello, somebody. But I am preaching this message because one good thing about audio is that as long as the internet stays up, you can access this message anytime you need it. Hello, somebody. Because mark my words, you will have a season in your life where you are discouraged in the faith. And it might last longer than a day. It might last longer than the bill getting paid. 
You might get the bill paid. You might get the job worked out, but you're still discouraged. So this is overwhelming. And some of you are only back in church after a season of discouragement. Help me help you. Let me tell you, this is what you do in church. When somebody says something that you be like, that's so true, you do this. Amen. If your hands are full, then you say it. Amen. And if you get excited, you better preach. You in the living room. This helps you receive and accept versus your normal pattern of resistance. And sometimes you don't even know why you're resisting. So the amens and the clapping helps to tip the scales on receiving versus resistance. I'm trying to tip the scales on it. Amen. I don't, I don't even know why I resist. I wanted this. I wanted her to come to me for me to preach to me. Now when it's happening, I'm like, mm, nope. Amen. I'm going to tip them scales on an amen. On a hallelujah. And some of us have found our way back, even if you could have been sitting in this church the whole time, and your eyes just opened up. Hello, somebody. That is my job. My job is to pray and to preach a word, the same word that I've been preaching forever, but it is said strategically at a time that you need it. When you're crying out for change has met what God wants to do. I am hoping that these words are for you today. But you got to act like by faith you came in here for some change. I came in here to be changed. I came in here to change my mind. I need to change how I be thinking. I need to change how I feel. Give me all the words that is for me. You got to remind people, okay? Okay, this, this, is, this, is, this is a call to, 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 to action. It's not a motivational speech. I'm calling you to action. That's what Hebrews is about. He's not just, he's giving an exhortation, but he's calling them to action in every other chapter. Now if, and therefore, and now you should. Now I'm going to say something, then you do something. That's what he's saying. Let me say this, now you respond this way. It's a call to action. You can't come to church. The only reason you caught up this morning, put your church clothes on, is because you know you need a change. Maybe you know exactly what that change is. Maybe you don't. But nevertheless, that's why you are here. So by faith, you have to see these words. Hello, somebody. Maybe we need to pray. Father, touch my mind that, that I will understand. Touch my ears that a stranger's voice I will not hearken unto, only the voice of the Father. Touch my hands that I could perform, my, my heart that I could receive, and my feet that I can walk it out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God desires to speak to you. Not by yourself, through me, one source that can be trusted. Hello, somebody. I don't know why you trust yourself so much. Have you seen yourself? <laughs> I don't even trust myself. <laughs> they got discouraged along the way. Things got difficult. This wasn't just, oh, we were persecuted. Oh, I feel bad. We always persecuted. We always running from something. Something is always going wrong. I take two steps forward, one step back. It seems like I can't ever get ahead. It seems like just when things are going good, they all seem to fall apart. It seems like just when I start getting my mind wrapped around it, it always seems to go awry. I mean, I've been here before. Some days I'm doing very good, and next thing you know, out of nowhere, I'm doing terrible. This keeps happening in them, and now they are truly discouraged. Say amen. This is deeper than a problem. 
This is a bunch of people who have noticed that the persistent pattern of their lives includes patterns and preachers keep saying, I mean problems, and preachers keep saying how problems shouldn't be, but your experience has said that my life is a bunch of problems. So this is discouraging. Hello? So he begins to preach. He starts giving them the, the, the supremacy of Christ. How Christ is greater than the law and he's greater than the, than the lamb that was slain and, and how he's a greater tabernacle and a, and a greater this and a greater that. And he just goes over the basics. And after the basics, he starts calling them to run a race of faith. After he starts teaching and, and reminding them of who Christ is, and why he died and why his sacrifice is important and what the blood of the lamb means and why the tabernacle was open. And once he starts saying all of that, then he says to them, now I need you guys to remember that you have to run a race. And in this race conversation, as we discussed two weeks ago, he starts bringing up sin and the things that weigh us down, that stop us from running a good race. Hello, somebody. And that shows up in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. Hello, somebody. So by the time we get to verses 3 and 4 of chapter 12, Paul then says, Now consider Christ, who endured the hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He says, I know what you're going through. You can't understand why God would make you when it seems like your life is filled with problems. And most of the problems we get into is trying to avoid life's problems. <laughs> Y'all don't want to help me today. In trying to avoid normal life problems, we get into spiritual problems. Y'all don't want to help me today. Most of the spiritual problems we get into is because we have been trying to avoid basic life problems. In order not to get my paycheck funny, funny, I'm going to lie over here. Now, you got a spiritual problem trying to avoid a physical problem. Y'all don't. Hello, somebody. I just feel like I need somebody to hold me. I just feel like I need somebody to, to talk to me. Now you've got a spiritual problem trying to solve a physical problem. Y'all don't want to play fair today. All of a sudden, you're trying to solve a physical problem, and then that turns into a spiritual problem. And so Paul says, what I'm going to talk to you about, your spirituality, let's not forget that you are discouraged and weary in dealing with physical problems, and now it is bringing sin in your life, and that's causing you some spiritual problems. It causes you spiritual problems. You may not have technically sinned, but you ain't, you ain't spiritually, you ain't lined up with God. It is apparent that you lost your preeminent seat in the things of God. You used to be like this. You used to be able to hear him, feel him, sense him. Now you don't even know. And now all of a sudden, you, don't, you start talking against, well, maybe everything ain't so spiritual. Do you say everything ain't no so spiritual? Well, maybe everything ain't, you know, everything ain't, ain't going to be about God. 
You, did you just say everything ain't got to be about God? You, the main one who's been loving God from back when, the one that was fired up about God, the one that said, for Christ I live and for Christ I die. You start echoing, maybe everything ain't got to be about God. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And Paul was like, uh, did that ain't right. He says, you need, to, you, you, you need to consider Christ who endured the cross. He said he endured the hostility of sinners. He said it was folk that's used to sinning in order to solve earthly problems that came and assaulted him. What got them in trouble is that they're trying to use now a physical means in order to solve a spiritual problem. They're using the physical means of killing Christ in order to solve a spiritual problem that they are having on the inside. Y'all don't. So now this got real out of hand. It's one thing to sin. Hello, somebody. In order to, to, to provide something for yourself physically. Hello, somebody. Now all of a sudden you're going to start trying to solve a spiritual problem with physical means. You trying to solve loneliness with sex. You trying to solve discouragement with liquor. You, try, you can't solve no spiritual problem with no physical means that's the gospel that's why Christ came he said you can't solve what you are feeling intangibly that's what we said by spirit you can't really physically touch it but you feel it you can't solve that with physical stuff Physical answers to physical and spiritual answers to spiritual. Hello, somebody. If it's love you need, you're not going to be able to satisfy that. It's, is love tangible? No. But look how deceived you are in thinking that you could solve love through physical means. You could solve love through talking to somebody. You could solve love through kissing on somebody. You could solve love through buying something. Solve love through going to the movies. Solve love. You can't solve no spiritual problem with physical means. So now they're trying to solve the idea of who Christ is spiritually. The conflict that they have with who Jesus is spiritually with a physical means. So they crucify him. The sinners are hostile to the most loving being that ever walked the earth. Because this love causes them conflict. If you really are who you say that you are, then this means you are requiring something different in me. I don't need you to be making no requirements of me. Come on, somebody. Come on, just let me go ahead and just do this physical thing. I liked it better when it was physical. Hello, somebody. But the law could not change you on the inside. The law only covered it temporarily. So Christ came to do what the law could not do. That's the gospel. Here's, here's a physical problem that only it can be solved with physical means. And here's a spiritual problem that can only be solved with spiritual means. 
the sinners that crucified Christ with their hostility could not deal with the conflict of what him being the true God meant about them. Hello, somebody. It would mean for them that they'd have to give up their high positions. It would mean for them that they don't have a, 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 a blanket just to cover up their sin, but they actually have to do the work of changing on the inside. Hello, somebody. You act like you ain't never been there. You act like you ain't never recognized that when I really think about Jesus, I see how much about me needs to change. Hello, somebody. And now I'm start coming to grips with how much in me at a very deep level needs to change. And I have to, and I might even get a little hostile. With, you can't mean that I need to change this because this is a basic human necessity. And you are causing me to see that basic human necessities have to be given up for spiritual life. You, you on this cross means that you're going to give up basic human necessities in order to gain spiritual life. Now, I liked it better when, you know, I could just mess up and you got to take the sacrifice and that be it. And I tried that in church with Pastor Durham, but it don't work. She'd be preaching the word that say, your heart ain't right. Then she'd see me do something and she'd say, my heart ain't right. And then I feel that what the Holy Spirit is saying is, my heart ain't right. And now I'm stuck in conflict because I know my heart ain't right. And I don't know how to get my heart right. And I have this insatiable desire to be righteous. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I need that to be met. Now I'm angry with God because you got me desiring something that appears impossible. Y'all don't want to play fair today. I'm mad because you make me want to be holy and I'm looking on the inside of me and it just don't seem that holiness is possible. You make me want to be right. And nobody is right. And nobody else is holy. See, this is, the, this is the next part about Jesus. See, Paul goes on in this verse. This is not even where we're stopping today, okay? We got much far to go. <laughs> Christ goes on to say, I mean, through Paul, he says, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. What he's doing is he's connecting the idea of seeing Christ on the cross enduring the hostility of sinners to say that he, through his obedience to God, was striving against sin. Now, he had no sin. So the hostility he's receiving from sinners has now positioned him to fight against sin. Hello, somebody. Now, he's positioned 
having done nothing wrong, just being obedient to God. Hello, somebody. Y'all don't want to play fair today. Me just being obedient to what God told me means that somehow I am now striving against your sin. Y'all don't want to play fair. Y'all don't even want to hear me today. It ain't even what I'm doing. It's the fact that I'm present. It's the fact that I remain unmovable and unshakable. And past, it ain't what she said. It's how she ain't moving, how she ain't changing. Uh-huh. All I'm doing is my obedience just like my master, his obedience on that cross caused the sinners to be even more hostile to strive against sin you ain't got to beat nobody down for that striving you had to belittle nobody you ain't got to be with them <laughs> all you have to do is stand right in obedience with God and that will cause the sin of the sinners to wage war against you. We all have done it because we all have been sinners. And Christ's obedience on the cross unto death took an adamant stance against sin. Because what sinners say to do is save yourself. If you are the Messiah, take yourself down off the cross. What sinners say to do, if you're hungry, then eat. If you're lonely, then screw. If you're mad, then fight. Sinners say, save yourself. Save yourself. Hello, somebody. Save yourself. And Christ being obedient to, nah, I ain't going to save myself. I'm going to accept the pain that God has brought to my life, and I will endure it. Now you are at war with sin itself. Because one thing about sinners is they will try to convince you to sin. Sinners always try to convince you to sin. They might do it jokingly. They might do it as a sly comment. Oh, so you, oh, so you holy. What? I wasn't trying to say I was holier than now, but I am trying to be holy. You know, that was a little tongue in cheek. Oh, oh, so, so, oh, excuse me, because you, you know, you super spiritual now. And right then, it doesn't affect you. But when you get discouraged, come on, somebody. Oh, y'all, see, that little seed was planted not for right now when you're strong. That seed of that sinner, that hostility, hello, somebody, that little, that little jab that they did, that's why I call people out on their small jabs. I'm like, that's a jab. No, Pastor, that's not what I meant. Yes, you did. Yes, it was. It was a small jab. And I'm going to call the truth on that so that later it won't come back and haunt me when I'm discouraged, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I can't understand why I go through all of this and why don't nobody care and why don't nobody see me. And then all of a sudden all your jokes start coming up and, and all your evil plantings of, oh, well, you know, you just, it shouldn't be about God all the time. And, and sometimes you need a break. And sometimes you do take care of yourself and self-care this and self-care that. And, and you got to cut people from your life. And, and, some, and see, now all of a sudden when I'm discouraged, there's a perfect storm of everything you said and everything you showed me and now that stuff starts growing and it's fully mature now it starts eating away at me and I have to check the source your words of pettiness come back to haunt people when they're down bad your ungodly wisdom 
traps them when they're the weakest. That's why you come to church. So that a woman or man of God could then assault the words that somebody else spoke to you in your DMs, somebody else said in your Twitter feed, somebody else noticed in your Instagram scrolling. You know what happened because just before I said something, you was like, yeah, you know, wake, pray, slay, yeah, live my best life. Now you come here, no, live for Jesus. That's what's up. <laughs> That's not what you liked on Instagram. That's not what you shared in your post. You was feeling that. Now you're feeling this. Come on, say, bless the preacher. Bless the preacher. Hello, somebody. Bless the preacher. Hello, somebody. Because if I didn't preach it, then the only thing you'd be stuck with was that doggone silly post that you hearted, that doggone silly Instagram that you shared. You'd be stuck with that feeling and that thought rather than something of good value. I'm glad I add conflict to every aspect of your secular life. Amen. I'm glad you'd be like, well, but Pastor, what is it for me if other than Jesus? Hmm, feeling conflict there. Yes. I mean, if, what am I supposed to do? Just love on Jesus? Exactly. Is there conflict with that? Yes, it is. Exactly. Now, what we're going to get rid of is the conflict on the evil side, not the Jesus side with your dumb self. Less Jesus. That. I got conflict. Less church. You. Then why people stay poor? You know that there is a long-term problem approaching, but you do not adjust your short-term actions. That's poverty. People can be poor in the natural and poor in spirit. It's a poverty mindset. You know there's a looming hell. You know there's a looming dis uh, disciplinary action. Hello, somebody. But you have not adjusted your short-term actions for that long-term problem. So you still going to go out here and order the $25 entree? You need to order the $6 entree because you see a long-term problem coming up with your silly self. And now you can't understand well, why it always happened to me that I got it. Why you think it happened to you? Because when God gave you wisdom about a long-term problem, you did not have the tenacity to adjust your short-term actions. You got you to adjust them short-term actions. Hello, somebody. I was talking to Brother Tori. I was like, I hope the man could go on the trip. Because the pastors is due today for Italy. Hello, somebody. I like, I, we like when the men went. You know, we enjoyed it. Hello, somebody. Good eye candy. I'm just kidding. They helped with the bags. Now, they did do that. They kept us safe. Hello, somebody. It was a beautiful thing. Hello. Mm -hmm. We loved it when they could go. I noticed they ain't turning their trip money. I was like, oh, it's going to be an all-girl trip again? God, dog it, man. <laughs> but I was talking to Tori, and I said, Tori, he said, Pastor, I don't know. I just had, you know, right now, my situation. I was like, but I didn't tell you about this right now. I told you about this back then. When we came from our last trip, I said, next trip coming up. <laughs> I said, I could give you some leeway. But I do understand one thing. What leeway I give you right now means I'm gonna have to keep doing this the entire year. Because it is apparent 
currently that you don't have the tenacity to adjust your short-term actions for a long-term goal. So then it becomes my responsibility to adjust my long-term plans because you are unable of adjusting your short-term actions. See, when it comes to God, he kind of goes like this. How about we correct that behavior? How about we change your ability to not be able to adjust your short-term actions? How about we get right there and we work with that? Hello? Why, why you can't change your short-term actions? Why, 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 you can't, why, you can't, why you can't change that? Why can't you maintain that? And when it shows up that he's ready to address it, it looks like sin. And you're going, how? And me and God are going, how could it not be? This has to be addressed. It has to be addressed in a way that will change you from the inside out. Giving you an extension. Y'all don't want to play fair today. Just saying your sins are forgiven. Hello, somebody. Just saying I forgive you is no longer sufficient because you will never start adjusting your short-term actions for long-term problems. Hello, somebody. But if I can get to the root of why you can't adjust your short-term actions, then you will be the type of disciplined Christian that starts adjusting your short-term actions for a long-term eternal gain. You see it as your biggest failure. I see it as your biggest setup for success. Because we desire spiritual problems to be solved with spiritual means. I see it as your biggest come up. Hello, somebody. I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I acted like that again. I can't believe I said that again. Hello, somebody. I can't believe this. Why can't I get rid of this? Why can't I just do right? Why can't I just think right? Why can't I just say right? Why is it that right when it shows up, I do the very thing I said I wasn't going to do? The Lord heard your cry. Hello, somebody. <laughs> and he decided to act on your short-term actions. So what's the solution to that? Well, he says it. He says, you look to Christ who endured the cross. What? Yep. When you feel like you need to preserve yourself short term, protect yourself short term, save yourself in this moment, right when you know you should tell the truth, but you decide to lie to save yourself. You know you should walk away, but you decide to argue to feel better. Hello, somebody. You know you should hang up the phone, but you let the phone ring. Hello, somebody. When you're deciding at that moment whether you're going to do what you're supposed to do, and that means a lack, that means loss. For this moment, you're going to feel rejected. In this moment, you're going to feel like you're not attractive. In this moment, you're going to feel like you a scrub and you ain't got no money. You broke. You're unsuccessful. In this moment is the only reason why you even thought about sinning in the first place. 
And then he says, now right at that moment, when you just want to just save yourself and, and, and just hold on, I don't want to feel that right now. I want to dodge that. I want to pick my, nope, 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 nope. Right when you want to take yourself off the cross of that feeling. Right when you want to take yourself down from that pain. Right when we say, I can't handle the loneliness no more. I can't handle the grief no more. Right when you want to take yourself down, stay. I had to text somebody the other day, and I said, son, I'm so sorry to tell you this. But sometimes pain is a necessity to get rid of more pain. You thought you was down bad then. But now you have compiled your situation so that you really see I'm more down bad now. And then if I want to be up good, it's going to cost me even more pain. I gave the example. I said when I had to have back surgery a couple years ago, the pain was unbearable. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. It started getting paralysis on my right side and my leg. And everybody, my mom was like, don't get surgery. Just wait. Just wait till I, because she just had surgery. Wait till I get better so I can take care of you. I was like, mom, I don't know if I can endure the pain. It's just getting ridiculous all the time. Constant, 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 constant. And even though I was terrified of surgery, and they told me from everybody, well, you know, after surgery, we still gonna have problems. And after surgery, you still gonna have, you know, for the rest of your life, and da 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 And ain't no guarantee you could come out paralyzed after surgery. And you may even be and even walk again. And I was like, I don't want surgery. But the pain got so bad that if my only hope was in surgery, I started wanting surgery. I started wanting what was not guaranteed. I started wanting what I had to hope for. I started wanting what I knew could cause more pain, what I knew could cause more suffering. I started wanting what was in essence worse off. Hello, right now I got pain in my right leg. In a minute, I'm about to be unconscious and cut wide open. I'm about to make a worse situation worser. <laughs> For what? One hope that after surgery and after a painful recovery, I might have the similitude of a normal life again. I said, I'm sorry to tell you that sometimes it costs more pain in order to be healed from a pain. Y'all better say it. I am so preaching this. I am preaching this better than y'all is acting today. Here you are trying to avoid more pain. Hello, somebody. And all you're really doing is drawing out the lack of life that you could have. You trying to say, I don't want that kind of pain, but you ain't really living. Hello, somebody. I don't want that kind of pain, but you now you're just a dead man walking. I don't want that kind of pain, but you ain't really got life. Baby, you better knuckle up, pull your pants up, and go through that pain for the hope of a normal life. Hello, somebody. Now, it is true. I still have back pain. But it ain't a 10. It's a 5. I don't need to take drugs for a 5. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. It is true that I still have back pain. But I'm not tripping over my right foot no more. Come on, somebody. It is true that I still have back pain. Hello, somebody. But my whole right leg moves and can lift. Hello, somebody. It is true that I got back pain, but I'm now walking. I'm now running. It is true that the pain ain't completely gone, but I have life. 
in most cases when people are trying to tell me, Pastor, I just don't know if I could do it. It just seems like it's so hard. I'd say, well, stay with it. Stay with it. Stay over there until the pain gets so unbearable that you will take the pain for the hope. You will take the pain for the hope. See, right, without taking surgery, I am hopeless. Come on, somebody. If I didn't know that surgery existed, I would have been told that you're going to have to struggle with this for the rest of your life. Y'all don't want to play fair today. But then some man designed some kind of surgery where they open your back up and, and they move that tiny piece of disc that's floating in your they, they came up with a system that gave me hope. Not a cure, hope. You take that hope for granted. The entire Old Testament believers did not have that hope. When they came up and they were sick, they said, you're going to have to be sick for the rest of your life. Come on, somebody. When they said, I'm lame and I can't walk, then you're going to have to be lame. And that's why you see the miracles. See how there was no cure? Now there's hope for a cure. See how you was blind? Now you can see. See how you was deaf? Now you can hear. See how you was lame? Now you can walk. There's hope for a cure. And the only people that went to Christ were those who by faith said, I, I'm just grateful that there is an opportunity possibly for me. Yeah. Uh, Christ, can you heal me? That's for the Jewish people. I'm not going to feed the dogs. Now, I'll be a dog, but I heard that you got hope. <laughs> I heard that there was hope in you. Now, I deserve my ailment. Come on, somebody. I deserve my consequences. I deserve a life of pain and an eternity of hell. But if you could be the one, then I'd rather have hope in you. So I come. So I come. I come for the hope. I endure the pain and push to the crowd for the hope. Because the difference between that person and everybody else that's lame that didn't go to Jesus and everybody else that was blind that didn't go to Jesus is that they could manage their life with that. But these people said, I was told that I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. The doctor said, you're going to have to struggle with this all your life. The pastor said it's going to be a struggle all your life. The minister said it's going to be a struggle all your life. The prophet said it's going to be a struggle all your life. You're going to deal with that all your life. But then I heard a word, some good news that said there might be hope in a man named Jesus. Some preacher over there preaching that it might be hope for me and I ain't got to struggle with this for the rest of my life. Somebody preaching that I ain't got to deal with this trigger for the rest of my life. Somebody preaching I ain't got to be depressed for the rest of my life. I said there's hope and renew. There's hope and renew. And that's where I'm going. His name is preached in such a way that is wrapped in hope, dispensed in hope, preached in hope, exalted in hope. It comes with a correction, but that correction starts feeling like hope to me. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. You, you ain't never been so low where the pain was that you had no hope. 
The pain is that this situation is always going to feel like this. It's always going to be like this. Come on, somebody. I told Sheena the other day, I said, we're going to make a, a promise to one another. Because we both suffer from discouragement and depression. I said, we're going to make a promise. I said, Sheena, I said to her, I said, the pain that I have in missing my mom, you know, we're approaching the, the second year, and I wish that the pain would be easier now than it was earlier, and it's not. Um, it's horrible, and I hate it. I bear it every day. I bear it in my service. I told her, by the end of the night, you know me. I'm cussing like a sailor because emotionally I cannot contain the amount of pain by the end of the day that I'm constantly in. And so I try to be by myself or around close people that understand my heart, you know, so I could just deal. And I said, the only reason that I didn't quit or shut the church down for a couple of years to recover is that I'm hoping that this is a temporary pain. But currently, there's nothing in me that could ever imagine how it could be temporary. Everything in me and all of my experiences say that I will be in this pain forever. But that is a hopeless situation. So the only reason that I try every day and I get up every day and I push every day and I serve every day, the only reason I do it is because I like having hope that one day even the impossible thing could be possible and this won't hurt so bad. I'm not telling, I said, I'm not saying this from a place that believes it. I'm saying it from a place that says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Hello, somebody. I, I believe that it's possible, but where I'm currently sitting at is it has not been possible for one month, two months, three months, 12 months, 13 months, 14 months, 15 months, 16. It ain't been possible yet. I believe it's possible down there, but my experience right now has got me sitting in an unbelief somewhere. And it's not that I believe, but I have faith, which is a substance of things hoped for. I'm walking in faith because I hope for it. Not because I see it. But ultimately, I speak it from a place. I said, so now we have to promise one another that I'm not going to quit in hoping that this is just the amount of pain is temporary and you can't quit in hoping at the days that you get discouraged. No one feels discouraged here in this moment because that's the joy of preaching, that you feel hopeful every time you come in. You know what? I don't even know why I was discouraged. This is for later. You pull it up later when you're not here and you feel down bad. Then you reach back and you put the podcast on and you say, like, like Sierra, I should have listened to this last, like Stefan said, I should have listened to that one. I should have listened to again when I felt that way. Now why is that? Modern technology was afforded to you because he knew that your trials would happen every day. And no one could preach to you daily, so put it on repeat. Hello, somebody. But no, you want to listen to your other music, your other, your other, you know, internet pastors. For what? The one you got is the one that is preaching to you today. 
why don't you do that one first? <laughs> Review that. Hello, somebody. So if I was like, yeah, this, this is what I needed the other day. I was like, imagine that. <laughs> but the pain of having no hope, of being hopeless, coupled with your actual pain, is unbearable. So then Paul says, look to Christ who was on the cross, who endured the hostility of sinners. Yes? Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He says, in essence, the remedy for discouragement is not to remove the physical factors. The remedy for a spiritual discouragement, a non-tangible feeling, is to evoke another feeling of endurance from Christ himself. Just look at him on the cross. Enduring the hostility of sinners. He says, keep that in your forefront when you want to Start feeling like your situation is so down bad. That it's so painful. He had no sin. And he was attacked by sinners. We could at least go, well, some of this could have been caused by me. <laughs> I, I got myself in this situation. <laughs> now we want to spaz up. I can't understand. Okay, you know what? Let me just calm down. <laughs> and the reason why we don't get discouraged is because we look at him and go, see, he didn't even do nothing wrong. And look at what he's going through. I clearly caused some of this. It's on me. And it, it stops you from going down that pit of pity. Hello, somebody. And weariness. You just toughen up. Hello? You toughen up. I told Sister Danielle the other day she was upset because of work, blah, 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 blah. I said, baby, ain't you a boss? She said, yes. I said, bosses don't complain about work. Employees do. We may get our hearts broken, we may hurt, get our feelings hurt, but we don't complain about work because we're bosses, period. If you're at the stage where you complain about work, don't be a manager of nothing. I want to own my own business. For what? You lazy. Don't do that. You don't even have good self-start skills. Or you can self-start, but you ain't got no good follow-through. You need a nine-to-five. If you don't know if that's you, come talk to me. If you're in my church and, you have, and I'm your pastor, I can tell you right away whether you got skills for entrepreneurship or not. Some of y'all just don't like to be held accountable. You don't want somebody telling you what to do. But you've neglected to measure that you, personality-wise, need somebody to tell you what to do. Because if they didn't tell you what to do, then you end up making a whole bunch of bad short-term decisions and not checking on your long-term goals. Walking around here with no health insurance. You're an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur? Uh, entrepreneur. If you can't budget health insurance as an entrepreneur, go get a job with benefits. It's, it's the sign is there for you. That's not for you. You need somebody to take my money <laughs> and hide it from me, for me, because I am too silly to actually do it for myself. 
There are people like, yeah, that's why I, I put my money in my, my, uh, my health care card. I got a health card. They, they take money from me and they put it in cash and just in case. So I could always buy my prescription. Swipe, swipe. Meanwhile, entrepreneurs are now, how much is your $800? I ain't even sick. I ain't, I'm healthy. <laughs> I ain't even sick. <laughs> I know a guy called me to own my own business. Man, sit down somewhere. <laughs> All right, I don't know where we got over there, but let's move on. <laughs> Most of the issue is that you don't want to be held accountable. You don't want someone telling you what to do. You actually believe you lie that you are better at something than you really are. We lie to ourselves for whatever it is we want. Right? I'm pretty sure I can get out of the house in 10 minutes. When have you ever got out of the house in 10 minutes? Never have you done that. Never. But you want that extra five minutes, so you lie to yourself about the 10 minutes. And the thing is that you believe it. Now, I just want to just, uh, uh, this is a sidebar, but did you recognize that you were inclined to believe your own lie? No, hear me. You told yourself an exaggerated truth that has never been proven in you, and then you actually believed it and acted accordingly. And you think you don't need a pastor. <laughs> Somebody need to be saved from themselves. <laughs> I tell Jewel all the time, Jewel what time is, what time are you going to leave 12.30? It'd be 12.27. Jewel, why are you here? Why are you here, huh? Why are you here? It's 12.27. You have to leave at 12.30. You should be up and at your car. Do I, do I need to be <laughs> Girl, bye. Go. I have to kick her out. Go <laughs> before you're late. Because it apparently it bothers her to be late. But it does not bother her to the extent that she changes her short-term actions. So thus she is held accountable by somebody else that will force her to change her short-term actions. Now, I can only do that temporarily because I can't live your life for you. I can only do it temporarily in the hopes, and the only reason we do it as pastors is in the hopes that you will like the feeling of being on time, that you will then make those adjustments yourself. But for some people, it just becomes a crutch, and somebody has to do this for you all the time, and God will not allow that. He's not going to allow it. Every tub has to stand on its own bottom. I can't come in here and preach you happy against every stressor so that you won't fall into sin. Every time you get discouraged, you fall into sin. Every time you get mad, you fall into sin. Every time you get lonely, you fall into sin. Every time you feel rejected, you fall into sin. Every time something doesn't go right, you fall into sin. I can only help and hold you accountable and preach you up into encouragement and make you feel good that God is going to do it. And yes, he'll turn it around. And yes, I can only do that for a season of your life. Because God desires to change you inwardly. So they're not being propped up every two weeks or three months. And when he decides to say, hey, let me, let me get that. Give me that, that crutch. Give me that crutch. And you fall for. <laughs> you was leaning too much. <laughs> too much. 
Too much. <laughs> and now you're falling on the floor. Look at you. <laughs> what happened? You, you relied on the crutch too long. I'm a, I'm a, oh, let me move on. Okay, okay, okay. We're going to look at this next week, but later in Hebrews, he talks about when something is lame or broken, what you got to do with it. But let's, let's, let's move on. Let me, let me finish the lesson for today. He says, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And can you see the comparison? Christ was striving against the sin of sinners to bloodshed. He's saying, look at him before you become discouraged and recognize you're not even resisting sin to the point of death. That you're not even resisting it to that point. So before you say, woe is me, really what is he asking you to give up? Really what is he telling you to let go of? Hello, somebody. All right, let's move on. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Let's go to verse 5. Verse 5, when you're there, say amen. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as two sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged, again there's that word, when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And scourges every son whom he receives. I, I have a hard time with this verse, primarily because all of a sudden Paul is really detailing sin. Like, Paul, why are we talking about sin? I thought this was a theological argument. I thought this is about convincing me of the supremacy of Christ. Why are we adamantly talking about sin? And what is the correlation between sin and running the race? Well, we saw earlier that running the race of faith, you got to lay aside the sin that traps you, and then you have to lay aside the weights that slow you down. But ultimately, why are we still on sin and discouragement? And what is the, the relationship between that? And there's a verse that is referenced here that I want us to go to, which is in Timothy. I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 18, but then I'm going to move backwards. I'm going to start at verse, excuse me, 20, but I'm going to move backwards. That's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. What people don't know is that by the time Paul gets to, or may not know, some may, <laughs> by the time Paul gets to Hebrews chapter 12, he's already seen the end of, of the Hebrew church happened before. And his letter <clears throat> is to discourage what he's seen happen before. Okay? Uh, the idea of discouragement and weariness in the race beginning to destroy and eat away the foundations of the church. 
He has seen this happen before on three different occasions. One of them was in, is, for, is told in, Hebrew, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. It says, of whom are Hyamanus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So the story of Hyamanus, in essence, what Paul is saying is that he pretty much excommunicated them, Hyamanus and Alexander, from church. And so some scholars say either he excommunicated them, excommunicated them, like kicked them out of church, or he actually like scourged them physically. But most people are like, the scourging physically probably didn't happen. It was definitely the excommunication. Yes? But either way, some type of disciplinary action had occurred. Yeah? So the story of Hyamanus, from what we could understand, is it kind of goes, when you add up all of his accounts between uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, what Paul says about Hyamanus, um, this is the general story. That Hyamanus professed his faith in Christ, but did not turn away from evil. There is no doubt regarding the identity of Hyamanus with the person of the same that we see in 1 Timothy, but according to the facts mentioned in the two epistles, uh, must be placed in the following order, that although that Hyamanus had professed his faith in Christ, he made a public and Christian profession of his faith, yet he had, uh, that was number one, he had a public confession. Number two, had not turned away from evil, but by his profane teaching, number three, went towards more ungodliness. This led to number four, his abandoning of his faith and a good conscience. Thus he brought about, number five, the end result of his faith being shipwrecked. So this story is told throughout two different epistles of the consequences of Hyamanus. And so when Paul is teaching in Hebrews, he's saying, I've seen where this could go. It does not end well. He said, I've seen it not once, not twice, but three times. He said, there can be a Christian that professes Christianity, but does not turn away from evil. And then in not turning away from evil, they began to use scripture to have new teachings. Hello, somebody. Don't act like you ain't never done it. Well, technically, Pastor Don, I mean, when you really say Pastor Don, well, technically, as a church, well, technically, and all of a sudden, you become real theological and spiritually astute about matters pertaining to your sin. Doesn't that seem foolish? Shouldn't you, but, but you'd be like, but I just know that this is true. Yes, and you also could believe your own lie. The only reason this came up is because you desire something that was apparently proposed to be against the will of God. So thus, you had to configure how what you desired is still plausible. Hyamanus did not turn away from evil. People started getting discouraged. He started saying, see, see, how do you know? This is how it always starts. You ain't got no real proof, but you be saying stuff like, well, how do you know that the rapture didn't already happen? Well, how do you know that the resurrection? Well, how do you know? And it's just, and he says, it's just vain babblings. Not saying anything based off of what you've been taught, but only based off of what you think you could imagine could be possible in order to get what you want. He says that teaching right there led them to, to even more evil. Just in case you're wondering, 
That's why the people that have faith like kids, they do better. They get saved most often. Well, I'm what well, the pastor says, so we want to just do what the pastor say. How you gonna do what the pastor say? You didn't be able to make us just see. That's why you stuck. That's why you keep going through the same pattern over and over and over again. The same cycle over and over and over and over again. Because you got so smart with your degrees and all. Hello, somebody. But the one that was just trusting, well, I didn't believe that, right? That, you know, it just seemed more right. This seems more right. And I can say, biblically, the majority is what I'm saying. And the minority, whatever you construed, is what you got. What you squeezed out of a scripture. But thematically, what I'm telling you to do anytime I have to address your personal life is a major theme in text. Major, not minor. Major theme. But you got so profound that you could define minor things and then argue minor things. That's what Hermanus was doing, arguing about genealogy and who was born of whom and whom and that and that and that and that and that. And then he just made the, ma the minor major to avoid the major problem. But luckily, you got a real stubborn pastor also that said, uh-uh, it still boiled down to disobedience. Uh-uh, it still boiled down to rebellion. Uh-uh, you can't call it rebellion. I will call it rebellion. It is rebellion. It is disobedience. I just don't like when you use that word. I don't care. You also like deceiving yourself. So, no, thank you. Hello, somebody. So Hermanus was not the first, but the third account of people. Well, if you count, yeah, third. You could, Ananias and Sapphira, but you can't really, they died. But you understand. <laughs> the third account of people that were excommunicated, turned over to Satan. One was such that they might, that Satan might destroy their flesh, but their soul might be saved. This idea, an example of saying, all right, if you think that you know something, you need to go. And don't come back until you recognize I don't know nothing. Get out there and try it. Paul goes on to say, he said, he didn't, they don't even understand their teachings. Let me show you. Let me, let me go, go to, where was that? Timothy? Back up. Back up to verse 18. Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, this charge I commit to you son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom Hymenus and Alexander uh, were those two. He says, Timothy, you, I'm charging you based off of what we know you're called to be. Timothy, I know who you're called to be. And I don't want what happened to them to happen to you. He says, some of them did not turn away from evil and lost their faith and their good conscience. Is that what it says? Then so much some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck ha and having faith and good conscience, they rejected it. You, you once believed that God can do an impossible thing. You once believed that he can help you through. You once believed that he can carry you through the most difficult thing you ever had to do, and then you lost that faith. If you had it, you wouldn't be out there. Hello, somebody. He says, and then you lost your good conscience. 
What is conscience? What is conscience? Your conscience is your ability to decide between good and evil. Your inner voice that allows you to discern good from bad. So a good conscience is one that works well in deciding good from bad. So let me understand this. Because Hermanus decided not to turn away from evil, he's also rejected his faith because he doesn't believe that God can carry him through the most impossible thing because the only reason he got into trouble in the first place and won't turn away from evil is because he's trying to satisfy something for himself with a physical means that is a spiritual thing. Make sense? So it's something spiritually that you do not believe or trust God for, which is why you're putting it in your own hands physically. Always, for every person that ever professed, we're just talking about believers here, not non-believers. There's something about God you don't trust or believe, which is why you feel it is a necessity, even against in disobedience, to take matters into your own hands. So you, you gave up your faith, one. And then two, you lost the workings of your conscience. That means... The eye is dark, and everything that I take in is bad. The conscience, the ability to see good and bad. When you don't turn away from evil, you lose not just your faith in trusting God in an area, but you also lose your ability to discern good from evil, good from bad. Now your conscience does not work. Well, I think it should be fine if... And that's why you're over there in the first place. Y'all better say amen. amen. I t listen, don't be surprised. Now, I said, help me. Say amen and receive. I am not your enemy. I am helping to take you to where you said you wanted to go. Make my job easy. I will spoon fool it to you, walk you right to it, put it in your mouth, chop it up in little bits. I would even make jokes and preach on it and then probably try to feed it to you the way you like it. The least you could do is say, mm, this is good. Amen. Say, mm, this is good. It was designed for you. And I knew it was going to be painful and I didn't even want to do it. But I'm doing it nonetheless. Nobody wants to hear how they messed up. <laughs> Everybody loves to explain why they messed up, but nobody wants to hear how they messed up. Y'all don't want to play. Everybody loves explaining why they messed up. Well, I just felt, and I just felt, and I just, blah, blah, blah. everybody wants to explain now, but nobody wants to hear how. But how, me telling you how you did this is discipline. It is chastening. In Hebrews, that word for the son that is endures chastening means endures discipline. Hello? If I was training you to run a race, hello, somebody, and you started taking off, and you just had to run a mile, right? You just endured to the end of the mile. Yeah? And you took off running super fast, and then halfway through, you stopped, which means you failed. You did not accomplish your goal. You did not finish your race. You did not make that mark. As your coach, I have to discipline you. That means I have to teach you 
where you went wrong, and then get you to do it again the right way. That's my job. What you did wrong was you started off too fast. You don't have that ability yet. You need to slow down. You need to slow down. But it shouldn't be, yeah, I know what you think, it's not that hard, it's not that, it's not that hard. But what you're able to do does not match up with the deception that you have about yourself in your head. So slow down. That's discipline. It's saying why you messed up. You messed up here because you went too fast. Slow down. That's chastening. Hello, somebody. That's chastening. If you heed that, what should I see? So I see you taking off the next time? What should I see? Doing slowing down, doing exactly what I told. Doing exactly what you were told. I feel like I should go fast, but I'm gonna do what she saying do. I'm gonna go slow. And 99.9% under the grace and mercy of God, I was always right. Undefe undefeated. Hello, somebody. Because he, he likes to be perfected when it comes to things in your life. See, that's what you didn't trust. That how he leads and guides you is perfect. You didn't trust it. So then you start going your own way. Speeding up when you shouldn't speed up and all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh, because you didn't trust it. And when you don't finish your race, it is nobody's fault but your own. And hell is a reasonable consequence for having all of heaven come down to assist you for you to only rebelliously say that I'm going to run this however I feel like running it, even though it's been proven that you fail. See? When it's evident that you fail in the way you're doing something and you still want to do it, don't we call that rebellion? Yeah. That's why nobody will feel sorry for you in hell. Every attempt was given. Every mechanism was given. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Slow. Look, it was a quarter of a mile away. Should have slowed down. Do it again. Good. Good. You're getting tired. You're starting to speed up. Slow down. Keep the same pace. Keep the same pace. Slow down. Slow, slow down. Do it again. And in you, wouldn't you get frustrated? Why do I have to keep doing it this way? Why do I have to keep learning it this way? I don't know. Why do you? Because all you got to do is when somebody say slow down. Oh, was I doing the thing? Yeah, I was a slow down. Okay, let me slow down. Oh, what was I doing? The thing? Yeah, you're doing it. Let me slow down. After a while, you'll catch yourself before it's too late. You'll feel yourself speed up before anybody has to even say anything. Why? Because that's training. That's discipline. That's chastening. You will catch yourself before anybody has to say anything. That's the goal. Don't nobody want to be the priest calling out your sin. The goal is to mature you and to train you where you catch yourself. I'm doing, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -mm, mm -mm, not today, not today, Satan. Uh-uh. By the time I see you speeding up, you've already decided to speed up in milliseconds before then. Hello? I'm preaching better y'all acting today. It's cool. 
It says, Timothy, you got to wage a, a good war. Right? Back up to verse, verse 9. Paul was saying to him earlier, knowing that the law is not made for a righteous person. But for the who? The lawless. The insubordinate. For the ungodly and for sinners. For the unholy and profane. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is somebody underlined this in your Bible, any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. If you want to know where my authority is to speak about any other thing that's not in the Bible, there it is. What you are doing is contrary to sound biblical teaching. So quit giving me this, it ain't a sin, it ain't a sin. It's contrary. How you manage you over here teaching stuff and babbling about stuff, you don't even know what it means. You don't know the implications of what you're playing with. Using the word. He says the law was given for who? The righteous? No, because people that want to be right don't need laws. That's why all things are lawful but not expedient to those who are righteous. When you want to do right, I ain't got to give you no parameters. When you want to do completely, I ain't got to, well, maybe you should. Okay, can we just only? When you want to be right, uh-uh, no, thank you. I could put the, the well, don't go that far, Pastor. I wasn't even going to go that far anyway. I'm trying to stay over here. But the laws and the rules are given to people who are prone to be ungodly. I wouldn't have to put down no rules if you understood the gravity of your own actions. If you had any desire to be more right standing with God than please yourself. If you desire to give him glory rather than satisfy your own selfish desires then you would not need any rules. I would have to tell you, bring that in, baby. Come on, come back in a little bit. You, you about to die. I don't think the Lord wants you to die like that. Come on back in. That was real good. You went 150. Let's bring that back to 100. What a joy that would be to pastor. A bunch of people that's so radical. Jesus! Okay, everybody, come, come back, come back. This, this is good right here. We're going to stay right here. <laughs> pastor, I, I want I I to sell my house and give it to the poor. No, don't sell your house. Not yet. Let's not think about that right now. Let's, how about we just do basic tithes and offerings? How about what a privilege that would be to preach. The law is made for who? The ungodly. When you get your pastor to the point that she has to state dictates on your behaviors within the church, you're too far. You're too far. And you don't even know it. Too far. Because if I'm leading a flock, shouldn't they be with me? If I got to tell you, don't go over there, why would you go over there since I'm going over here? It's very simple. Hello, somebody. Knowing that the law is not made for a righteous person. 
but for the lawless and insubordinate. I try not to make unnecessary laws. People ask me, well, Pastor, down the road, are you going to make a law that I can't? I don't know. I don't want to even think about that. Let's just deal with right now, right here. That's it. I'm hoping you'll be a brand new, brand new, totally different person by then. Believe for yourself. The rules only are necessary when it appears that you continue to be ungodly and insubordinate. Insubordinate means that you go against authority. So then you have to put down a law, which means in order for you to do what you want to do, you have to disobey the law. That disobedience of the law allows you to be judged for the sin that was always in you in the first place. It says, now this can be judged. Nobody wanted to do that. Everybody in Christ wanted you to be free of that. But now we have to call it wrong. Right there. Don't go past that line. Now, I'm a pastor, okay? I can't control what you do. You have every right to go clean past every rule I put in place. You can do it knowingly. You can do it unknowingly. You can do it thinking that you really weren't trying to do that. You can think about your way the best way imaginable and still be disobedient. That's your right. I don't care how you cross the line, but you have every right to cross that line. That's not why it's there. It's there so that you could see how far you really had to go, and that line will be justification for your judgment. When you say, I was overtaken by Satan, you would not have been had you stayed at that line. So God can be just because he told you don't cross that line. So now I keep it just in judging. So the sin says now you need mercy. And you'd be a fool not to ask God for mercy. But people are foolish. They begin to explain why they sinned versus being disciplined on how. This lesson today is disciplinary. It is a teaching on how you came to do what you've done. It is not an explanation of why. I don't care about that. You need to know how. Because every day of your life, there'll be a new why. A new occasion to sin. Because life is filled with problems. Hello, somebody. And every day there's an occasion to sin. A reason for doing what you want to do. A reason for preserving yourself. A reason for saving yourself from pain. A reason for saving yourself from hurt. A reason. There's a reason. That's not the point. But if I could show you the how, then maybe when I tell you to slow down, you'll obey. And maybe after slowing down in obedience for enough times, you begin to feel it in yourself and correct yourself. And then maybe after correcting yourself so much, you begin to develop the pace for yourself. And it becomes a natural part of your rhythm with God, a natural part of your flow. Hello, somebody. And you start understanding. Oh, but that takes a minute. Sit on down. 
<clears throat> in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5, you can just write it down. I've used it before, but it, it really comes up here. Paul is constantly teaching in Hebrews, the Hebrew church. He's like, look, I've seen this before, this discouragement, this uneasy feeling, because the Hebrew church had to believe in God, and they did not have a chance to see Jesus himself, themselves. They had to believe from the point of what they were told, what they personally experienced, which was still not as grand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me, let me, let me. Uh, one of my commentaries said it the best. It says, they had to be subject to suffering and shame for the confession of Jesus, stripped of the familiar and visible institutions of organized Jewish religion, and confused by the hidden character of Jesus. The hidden character of his glory, veiled in suffering when he was on earth and now hidden in heaven. Who Christ was, was veiled in his suffering. They had to be able to believe in who Christ was past the veil of what his suffering would indicate that somehow he was a fraud. Do you understand? And once they got a chance to believe past that veil, that was his flesh. Hello, somebody. His suffering. Because anybody else would say, well, apparently he was who he's supposed to be if he died. They had to believe past that, through that, and see who he really was in that suffering. And then after that, now they're called to believe in him while he is hidden in heaven. That's a tall order. While you're being persecuted, suffering, and abandoned. So Paul is telling this Hebrew church, don't grow weary. I know God can feel distant. And he often feels distant when you are hurting. If he feels distant at a time that you are hurting, there's something he's trying to correct in your relationship. When he, if you are not hurting, he never feels distant. He feels closer. Does that make sense? If there's something that he doesn't, if he's, let me make sure I say that right. When there's something he wants to correct in you, he feels distant when you're suffering. When you're suffering, there's nothing he needs to correct. He feels closer. Okay? This distance you're feeling when you're suffering, when you're discouraged, when you, this means there's something in your relationship with him that he wants to correct. You will end up sinning, possibly, well, yeah, all the time, because you are trying to satisfy something that only his presence can satisfy. And he wants you to see what part of you will go to that extent, that it might be removed. Is that making sense? Do I need to say it again? When you feel him distant in your suffering, it's because there's something he wants to correct in your relationship. When there's nothing to correct in your relationship and you're suffering, he, you feel him closely. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. With the passing of my mother, I feel him more closely than ever, even though I am suffering. When it's something that I need to correct in our relationship, he feels distant. Yeah. 
Yes? That distance, when it maintains and it stays there, well, you don't really connect like you used to. You're not really sure. You're going through all the motions, but you don't really feel him. Maybe you've never felt him. Not in the way that you think you should. There's something in your relationship that he needs to address. This will often blossom into sin because you would not know that it's not right until the sin manifests. You will keep thinking that this is how people's relationships go. Why? Because sinners cause you to sin. Everybody else does it. Everybody else seems to be living like this and they fine. Everybody else. Now the proximity of you to sinners has made you feel that your relationship with him and this void is accurate. But all you got to do is come around the pastor enough and be like, this can't be, no, that, people do be close like God like this. <laughs> they really do. They, 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 they do. They do. They do. They say, well, that's just the pastor. See, now you're messed up. It was me, so it might be you. <laughs> it was me, so it might be you. And you done put me in a whole other pe- uh, pedestal. I kicked that out the way. No, put me down here with you. You're supposed to be able to have the same kind of experiences I have with God. You cannot lead, <laughs> but you can have some experiences. Does that make sense? So the suffering, when you're suffering and you feel that God is distant when you're depressed, distant when you're oppressed, distant when you're hurting, there is something in your relationship that you don't trust with God that needs to be addressed. This will come up for a very long time until you sin. Why? Because naturally, you're trying to find something to appease this void. Then you sin and you go, what happened? There's something you don't trust about God. The sin will point to that. Hello, somebody. Hello? There's something that is weak in your relationship with God. The sin will point to what it is. The sin always points to it. Did I tell you to go to Timothy? I told you to go just to write it down at least. All right. It says, and it says, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, and also if anyone competes in athletics, He is not crowned unless he competes according to the what? He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. This is the same Paul that was teaching in Hebrews. He said, you got to run this race. He said, but if you're going to run this race, you're going to get to the very end. And right when they're supposed to give you your crown of glory, they're going to run the tape and realize you've been cheating. Yeah, you believed in me the whole time running your race, but you cheated. You protected yourself here, 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 here. Now, now hear me out. The rules of any race indicate what is being competed for. Am I right? When you establish rules of the race, it shows, it points to what you're actually competing in. If I'm going to race you, hello, in speed, hello, then there will have to be rules regarding speed. Yeah. Like the racers can't get in a car. <laughs> racers can't use the sneaks with the wheels on them. <laughs> Hello? Because I want to see how you do on a foot race with your own legs, your own muscles, your own arms, your own heart rate, just your body. Yeah. Yes? So no cars. If you want to race with cars, that's NASCAR over there. That's a different race. So the rules of the, of the sport indicate what is being competed for. The best in foot race. The best in car race. The best in tennis. The best in, hello? Make sense? You can't go to play tennis 
with a, with a baseball bat. Okay, the wrong, wrong, the wrong rules. No, no. The rules indicate and limit the race or the competition to be able to see what is really the capabilities of the athlete. Y'all don't, don't want to help me preach this. If I am giving a foot race medal, then this means I want to know how well you run with feet. Can you use skates? This does not tell me how well you run with feet. Can you use a car? Can you use? No. Can somebody carry you? Can they put you on your back? No, this does not indicate how well you run with feet. We are looking at a race about feet. If I was having a spiritual race, and I wanted to know what manner of spirit, y'all don't want to, y'all don't, y'all don't want to help me today. If I wanted to know what type of spirit you are, I'm running a race that would indicate the manner and the type of spirit of an individual. So the rules are no fornication. The rules are no lying. The rules are no cheating. The rules are no homosexuality. The rules are nothing that goes against good sound doctrine. Now run. The race is a competition against the seeds of Satan and the children of God. We want to know, does godly seed run better for creation than satanic seed? Y'all don't want to play fair today. So let me give, me, give me a taste of your soul. Give me a test of your insides. Give me a test of your character. Give me a test of your passion. Give me a test of your love. Give me a test of your fortitude. Give me a test of your faithfulness. Give me a test of your discipline. Give me a test and let me compete. Let me compete. Let me run. Let me compete. You can't win if you're cheating. Yeah, you'll get to the end like everybody else, but you will be disqualified because we weren't testing your ability to skate through. We weren't testing your ability to finesse. We weren't testing your ability to make it just on the line. We weren't testing your ability to take all this other stuff with you. We were testing one thing, your character. We're not testing your ability to be sin free. Because faith is now accounted as righteousness. We're testing your character. You could have no sin and be hung up upon a tree and that be counted as sin. We're testing your character. Christ dying on the cross said, it ain't even about the sin. It's about what type of person are you? Born of God or born of Satan? This race will determine it. I made it through believing in Jesus. Yeah, but you slept with folk the whole time through. You lied the whole time through. You kept your other stuff the whole time through. Disqualified. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Iniquity and not sin. You continue to allow the propensity for sin to stay in you. 
when I provided training and discipline for that to be brought out of you. The cloud of witnesses is cheering you on in a race where you have been fine-tuned as spiritual athletes. Oh, look, they want some loving. What they going to do? Oh, he does that? Oh, she wants to quit because she's so brokenhearted. Oh, she dies it another day. And the child, the crowd goes crazy. Oh, my God. They the goat. I've never seen nothing like that. Oh, my God. Look at that. We weren't able to do that. We had to die in ours, but they get to get theirs taken out of them. They get to be trained by the spirit himself to get that stuff out of them. Look at how they running. Look at how they moving. Look at how, oh my God. Oh, 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 oh. They got moves we ain't never seen before. knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous person but for the lawless and insubordinate for the ungodly and for the sinners I remember when I first met Jewel she was such a healthy eater I love that about her I said that's great that's really healthy you know she's really fit I have my waffle no butter have all of my food, no flavor. <laughs> and then as I got to know her, I realized that she wasn't going to go pro anymore. After about a year, I finally asked her, I said, so why do you still eat like that? Because she would eat my food and be like, mm, this is so good. Mm, this is so good. And so I, was trying, I asked her, so why do you still eat like you, you in training if you ain't going to go pro? What you need to be worried about is your mind. Because now you're being called to coach, not perform. You're over here trying to keep your body right. Well, you need to keep your mind right. Nevertheless, you don't have to tell an athlete the rules of eating. They can feel in themselves, I do better with. I perform better with. You can train them at first, but once they become a professional athlete, they just know off the top. The coach ain't got to put that down. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Don't eat that. They just have it so in them that they don't even know how to not be that. Hello? You don't need no rules for a real athlete. You need, you need rules for people that either, one, haven't decided or don't know how to be trained. I, as your pastor... I'm always conflicted it onto whether you really decided Christ or you just don't know. You just don't know. You know what I mean? Like I'm training you. Don't don't eat that. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Okay, you don't eat it in front of me, but then you eat it later. See, I told you don't eat it over there either. Can't eat it here. Don't eat it over there. You got to get yourself ready. And I can encourage you, encourage you, encourage you, train you, train you, train you. In essence, this should become a part of you. Yes. Or you're just here and you haven't really decided whether you wanted to run for God or not. Now, bear in mind, everybody's running. There is no sitting out. You're either going to run for Team Jesus or run for Team Satan. But there is no sitting out. I'm going to show it to you. Hello? Let me, let me see. 
Where is it? Go to verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now the purpose of the commandment is love. From a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Stop right there. So we know that the law, the thou shalt not, is given and thou shalt, is given not to the righteous, but to the unrighteous. But the purpose, okay, the purpose of the commandments is so that we might love from a pure heart, one, from a good conscience. We already talked about good conscience. Two, and from a sincere faith, three. The reason why some of us are sitting here today when we have fallen into sin is because we didn't fulfill, we didn't lose all three. Might have lost one, might have lost two, but we didn't lose all three. That's God's mercy. That's God's mercy. That is God's mercy. You can look at them and see how interconnected they really are and how simple and easy it is to lose all three. Hello, somebody. The fact that you didn't and are sitting here today is God's miraculous mercy upon your life. He stayed the hand of Satan working in your heart to make sure all wasn't lost and left a remnant of probably a sincere heart. If I had to call it knowing my members, it's probably you got a sincere heart. I tell my members, my, my members really do love. They can get this other stuff wrong but they really do love. But how easy it is to lose all three. How delicate that really is. He said the purpose is that we could love. If you look at every commandment, it reveals how to point to maintaining a love from a pure heart, maintaining a good conscience, and maintaining sincere faith. Every part of it. The rules when they are created in this race, are the laws and the commandments. They all hang on the idea of making sure that the winners have these three. They surpassed in humanity for these three reasons. And every commandment and every iniquity and everything that goes back and forth about what is allowed or what is not allowed in your walk, what is good for you to do, what is not good for you to do, is within those three categories. How does this affect your good conscience? How does this affect your sincere faith? And how does this affect your heart of love? Not everybody's, yours. Yours. That's why I said it's one thing to pass the whole flock, but then I have to get down to the nitty gritty. You. Your prayer life for you, how you think. And then my training becomes specific in discipleship. This is good. Now that I know about your life and you and what you got going on, I've examined you for a while. This is really what will work for you. You are supposed to trust your coach as they are ordained by God to train you in discipline for your race. If somebody got to know you, got to know God, studied all your quirks, all your mistakes, all your failures. She's not pulling them up to hurt you. She's using them to examine where we need to work on your weak areas. Because you keep cheating 
in, in, the, in the game, you can't, you can't cross that line. You can't cheat. Uh-uh, uh-uh. But the only reason you're doing it is because that backhand is weak. Y'all don't want to play fair today. The only reason you keep changing is because this area is a little weak. The only reason you keep slipping up and breaking the rules is because you got a weak backhand. You got a weak follow-through. You got low endurance. You ain't strong enough here. And it is my job through the Spirit of God to show you where that is and to apply discipline. To apply discipline after it's done and you broke the rules again we don't just dock you I wish it was that simple minus five points we'll see what you get in the end that's not real pastoring where pastor says, if God was counting that, you'd be minus four. But he doesn't count it because he washed it and paid for it himself with his own blood. So you're not minus four because he paid the price. Come on, somebody. However, good athletes don't minus four. Good thing we ain't got to count it because he paid for it. But solid athletes that really run the race, we don't get minus fours. I'm preaching better y'all acting. Good men of God don't get minus twos. Good women of God don't get minus twenties. Come on, somebody. We're being trained. Sit, 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 sit. I was talking to the Holy Spirit today. <laughs> I was. <laughs> when Sheena and Janiah showed up, it was part of a victory. But as you've ever been away from the f- people of God for a minute, it takes more than just showing up. It takes more than an act of obedience. It requires many, many more acts. My life as a pastor revolves around the idea that I have to train people for the kingdom of God. I didn't get that until recently. I said, everybody preaches. I just preach. I said, everybody builds buildings and Sunday schools and praise and worship teams. I just build buildings with Sunday schools and praise and worship teams. I said, God, I have to go through a lot of pain to keep doing something that seems so superfluous, extra, redundant. There are enough churches. Somehow, if I didn't do this, you would make sure they all are okay. It seems mighty a lot to do something that is so abundant in America. Church, that is, is abundant. People have told me, Pastor, if I wanted to go to any other church, I got plenty of churches I could have picked. Something about your church. I was like, okay, great. And then I realized 
very few churches. And I know it to be true that it's very few because if it was many, then the Christianity in America would look different. But very few churches train athletes for the kingdom of God. What is sad is that the whole thing is a race of character and spirit. Churches train them to be financial independent, train them to live their best life, train them to, to just do all kinds of things, but don't train them to have good character, sincere faith, pure love. Where is that at? The miracle of raising somebody up from the dead is the same miracle that we get to see when God uses these hands to snatch someone from the pits of hell. It's a miracle. Uh, come here, Kayla. <laughs> come here, hurry up, hurry up, man. That's all right. Whoop, whoop. All right, turn this way, face down. You trust me? Lean forward. Lean, lean, lean. That's pretty much. Okay, now stand up. Turn this way so they can see. Okay, now lean forward. Lean forward. Lean. All your weight. If I drop to you, go, right? She was incapable of actually stopping herself if I let go. Incapable. Am I right? If I let go at this angle, you can tell she's incapable of stopping herself. That ability is miraculous. Thank you, baby. And I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. To see someone go so far as Satan's gates open, mouth wide, and then we go, snatch! You was almost disqualified, snatch! Your foot almost crossed that line, snatch! They almost called a foul on the play, flag on the play, snatch! You almost got counted out, snatch! Y'all don't wanna, it's all right. You ain't gotta be excited about it today, but one day you gonna look back and go, my God today, snatched out. Some of you got snatched out. You didn't just stumble upon Renew. Renew kept looking for you so that you might be snatched out. Snatched out of your anxiety. Snatched out of your suicidal thoughts. Snatched out of your depression. Snatched out of your fornication. Snatched out of your lying. Snatched out of your greed. Snatched out of your death. Sit down in this house. I'm going to preach for myself for just a second. Stop disrespecting me. I can't afford to hire no preacher to come preach for me. 
Stop dishonoring me as a woman of God that has to run beside you, train you, and then when you are so rebellious that you keep trying to cross a line you shouldn't cross, still present enough to snatch you out of the pits of hell. Present. Some of you as believers, I had to be present. Not giving back to you what you gave to me. Not writing you off or devaluing you. Just to say present. Because you don't know how close you are to that disqualifying line. You have no clue. You're so busy thinking you got it under the control. You don't even recognize that you are too close to that line. And I'm running beside you going, baby, you're too close. Baby, slow down. Baby, slow, slow down. Don't raise your voice at me. Don't cut me off when I talk. Stop disrespecting me because you don't know what it takes. You have not a clue, and it is exhausting. Do you understand? It's too much. It's too much. Sit, 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 sit. When you hear me speaking and we're one-on-one, -on -one, and you speaking, it means you stop speaking. It don't mean you challenge me. It means that you, you recognize the me. Can you imagine a player back-talking the coach? If you're going to back-talk your own coach, that's supposed to give you accountability and push you in a way that you wouldn't go on your, on your own that sees what you can't see. That's what you hired a coach for. If you're going to talk back, then fire the coach. Get a new coach. That's why I'm trying to tell y'all, leave. If you can't respect me, leave. Because this is too much. You asked me to help you. Then receive the help. How did you ask me? Because you asked God and you chose this church. And this is one of the methods he's designed to bless your life. Hello, somebody. One of the things we love about the Karate Kid story. Remember, everybody know the Karate Kid? Is we all loved how this kid had a passion to be a, a karate winner. Karate champion, ha-cha, 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 wah, right? That's what he wanted to do. He got himself uh, the world's best karate instructor, the coach of all karate people. When he met him, he was like, this man is crazy. He's sorry. He doesn't know what he's doing. He got me doing all this other stuff that I don't even think is even related to what I really want to do. Got me painting fences, waxing cars, sanding the floor. I don't think this is related. And what we loved was that moment when it was time to spar off and everything that the karate kid thought was pointless and useless. Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! Who was like, oh my God! We loved it! We were like, I can't believe this! Oh my God! Hello? And so it is with us. 
Hello? And you may not understand why you're sanding the floor. But sand nonetheless. Hello, somebody. I'll show you. I'll show you why. I'll show you why. Go back to Hebrews. No, go back to second. Second Timothy. Are you there? Make sure that's where I want you to be. Go to Second Timothy, chapter two. Verse 19. When you're there, say amen. amen. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. Let's stop right there, so I'll give you some background. Paul is teaching again on Hamanus and some other people that have fallen away, that profess Christ and fallen away. And he's trying to encourage Timothy. Timothy, you don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. Because this, there's a seal of God. Because as pastors, we could get so, or maybe not just pastors, some of y'all do this too. So busy trying to figure out if somebody is a real Christian or not. And maybe you do this to yourself. Hello, somebody. But you're so busy trying to figure out if you're a real Christian. And so many other church members and leaders might be trying to look at somebody else to see if they're a real Christian. Paul then encourages Timothy that we don't have to worry about that. He says, because there's a seal that God has on his people. And that's where he picks up. He says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal. What is that seal? The Lord knows who are his. You don't ever have to worry if the body of Christ is somehow going to be tainted. You don't have to worry if somehow the foundation of renewal is going to be affected. Minister Monifa, I said, we're, we're in a real battle since the top of the year in our church. A spiritual battle, not a physical one. It manifests physically, but it's spiritual. Make sense? So we've been in a battle since the top of the year. I said, some of these battles are at our foundation. And she said, well, it's foundational. We need to do some more. I said, I've already put in place what we're going to do. Ms. Maniva said, well, we got to do something about this foundation. And I tried to calm her to say, our foundation will be fine. No, Pastor, we need to do some more. We already did it. Everybody in the church was fasting. Everybody fasted. All y'all fasted. Everybody. People here, not here for 21 days. Everybody fasted. We're doing stuff. No, we need to do more for the foundation. The foundation is fine. How do I know? Because the Lord knows who is what? His. Do you know? Hopefully. Maybe you might be unsure from time to time in your life. But one thing we do know, that you being his is not contingent upon what you know. You being his is not contingent upon what you know. You being his is not contingent upon what you feel. You being his is not contingent upon what they say. You being his is not contingent upon what you do. You being his is contingent upon what he knows. It's your controlling nature that has to have the answer for yourself. But ultimately, he knows. Hello, somebody. 
It says, fret not, Timothy. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And, and, so if you're confused, here's something that might help. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from sin, depart from lying, depart from fornication, depart from what? Oh, Remember, this is a race of character and spirit. We're determining what manner of spirit you are. If you are only concerned with the fine line of sin, then you are the ungodly because the law and the rules were for the sinners. Hello, somebody. But when you are not concerned with the fine line of sin, you are more concerned with running a clean race, with doing real good muscle work, doing real good inside work. When you are more concerned with that, then you will even shun iniquity. It ain't a sin. But it ain't that right either. It's not the will of God for my life. It causes disobedience in another area. Just because you see people in the Bible disobey doesn't mean it's right to do. Well, Moses did such a thing. Shut up. That don't mean it was right. That mean it was good. You know how you think that it might have been right because Moses did it? For the same reason that you think successful worldly people are somehow good advisors to you. Your conscience is seared. If someone has any notoriety, then apparently what they say might be good. Hello? Yeah, your conscience is down bad. No good conscience, gone. Well, I think sometimes it's okay to disobey. See? See how, see how when I say it back to you, it sounds completely insane? You don't ever have to disobey in order to do God's will. He will move the mountain. The mountain needs to be moved. But you don't have to sin in order to do his will. If he says don't touch the ark, even if it's fallen, don't touch the ark. And I don't care how many examples you think that it was somehow successful. You're looking at physicality and not spiritual. Is that plain? Let's make it sure because y'all... Your conscience be bad, weighing things wrong. Your scale is off, and it's hard to show you that. So I'm hoping you really see it. Let God be God. Let God be God. It would appear that a perfect man should never have to endure such hostility from sinners. And when you know that you are right, then surely you should protect yourself. Is that what Christ did? No. And I promise you, we are never as right as him. So why do you keep taking yourself down off the cross? Look to him. Hello, somebody. Woo, come on and bless the name of the Lord. Woo. Let's keep going. I'm going finish, to finish this today, and then we'll go home. That's Timothy. I'm going to finish second Timothy. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he will be a vessel of 
honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. In every house, there's vessels of good vessels and bad vessels. And it uses it, it defines them. There's some that can be destroyed, vessels that can be destroyed, clay. Metal, you can't really destroy it. You can melt it down, but you can't really, you can't really destroy it, like clay and straw. Silver and gold, you can only change the form, but it remains. Make sense? In terms of vessels. If you want to be a vessel of honor, then you have to get rid of what? Dishonor. I just want you to just, just marinate on that for a second. In the house, there are two types of vessels, honor and dishonor. Dishonorable vessels and honorable vessels. There are vessels that are made with gold and silver spiritually, and then there are vessels that are made with physical things, earthly things, tangible things, temporary things. He says, if you want to be a vessel of honor, then cleanse yourself of anything that brings dishonor. How simple is that? Rather than trying to figure out which vessel am I, because that does not matter what you know, because you are not his based off of what you know. You are his based off of what he knows. So rather than trying to figure that out, why don't we just start with removing anything that will be dishonorable to the father? Is that thought honoring him? Is that life honoring? Let me just get rid of whatever's not honoring him. So simple. We make it complex because we want to do dirt. He says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a what? It says don't pursue them by yourself with your self-righteous self. It says go with other people that are also pursuing the same thing. That was the instruction. Flee youthful lust. The fact that we have to put a disclaimer that they are youthful would indicate that some grown folk is still going after childish stuff. You is too old to still be dealing with wanting that. You too mature in God to still be over there. You know what's over there. You know who's over there. You know what he going to do, how she going to act. You know what's over there. You need to flee these youthful lusts. Some of y'all is too old in God and definitely too old in years. But I would say you too old in God because I've pastored you far too long for you to crave such youthful lusts. It's too much. You're not a babe in Christ. Get yourself together. Hello, somebody. Training doggone athletes. I got you over here running bleachers and everything. You, you, now you want to be like, well, maybe I should just, you know, just walk at a leisurely pace. You're too big for that. You're too grown. Y'all got too much word. Hello? He says, but avoid foolish. What he's doing is he's telling you how not to get disqualified. He's telling you there's a way you got to run this race. So here are some basics 
that generally would keep you from not getting disqualified. Like, don't do you the drugs, don't do this. These are the rules, all right? And how to make sure that you stay within the rules without having to memorize the rule book. You ain't got to know all the rules. If you just live like this, you won't break none of them. He says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate what? What is a foolish dispute? It's when you're arguing about something and the, what, you're gonna, what you stand to gain doesn't exist. And then the ignorant was one where somebody or whoever's talking both, either both or one of the persons is unknowledgeable. I get caught in that myself sometimes. I be talking to people. They be disputing with me. And I realize they don't even know. Then I be like, you know what? Believe what you want to believe. I have to back out. Because I realize I'm now disputing with somebody who is completely ignorant. I'm not going to do that. You don't even know what you're talking about. See, now I'd be a fool if I continue to talk to you about this. Yes? Or we both over here arguing and we both don't know. Well, I think COVID, I think, which, which one of y'all got a degree in pathology? None? Well, stop arguing. <laughs> you're both ignorant. <laughs> Make sense? It's when it's a dispute. But we can have a conversation from the learned to the ignorant. But we shouldn't be disputing. Make sense? Yeah. I have to get Glenn about that. Why are you arguing with me? You don't know. You should at least heed the possibility that I might know the Bible. <laughs> Give me the benefit of the doubt that the pastor might know the Bible. You sat under me for eight years. You're right. Where was, where was I? All right. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Oh, how we fall short. <laughs> must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. You've got to be patient. You've got to be gentle. You've got to be teachable. You've got to be humble. Just so with people who are opposing you, they are literally telling you, I don't like it. I understand. But maybe you might want to consider. <laughs> I fall short of this often. Did you do this in hopes that they might come to truth and be able to repent? Because what you don't want to happen is that you quarrel with them so much so, hello somebody, that even when they see the truth, you've allowed them to be so angry that they don't even want to walk in the truth. Hello? Mm -hmm. That's what good servants do. What kind of servants? Uh-huh, that's what good servants do. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do what? Please. Please. I know some of y'all ain't never read this before. 
I know you didn't because you never recognized that you quarreling in ignorance. Hello, somebody. You not being teachable or patient is a direct reflection that you have been taken captive by Satan. Not just, oh, woe is me, I'm captive. No, he's got you captive that you could do what he wants you to do. That's uniquely different. I know most of y'all thought, well, I mean, I may not be free, but, yo, but you just thought like it was just affecting you. That, you know, it's just me. I'm just, you know, I'm in prison right now. I'm down bad. Yeah. You've been taken captive that you might perform everything Satan wants you to perform. You can do his will. Say what he wants you to say. Stand when he gives you permission to stand. The pastor says stand. Mm -mm. But you'll stand when he gives you permission. If he doesn't give you permission, you won't. You'll smile when he says it's okay for you to smile. You'll say amen when he says, you've been held captive to do his will. When the pastor says, come on and say amen. You didn't even recognize that your captivity and sin, your inability to let that thing go, was a direct reflection that he kept you so that you could be used by him. It's not like he just put you in prison and left you there. He got you in a chain and parading you around as his servant. Get that. Pick that up. Talk to that person. Give him the look. Give her the look. Say this. Make that call. You ain't locked up in prison by yourself. You're out on his leash. Hello? He say sit. He say stand. That's why when I tell you to obey me, because I'm trying to get you to rebel against him. You know how hard it is to free somebody that don't want to be free? You know how difficult it is? I'm over there giving you the look. On the count of three. Go down. I'm going to go up. Go down. I'm going to go up. One, two. You I gave you the look. You go down. I'm not doing that. I can't, I can't afford to get hurt. You can't afford to get hurt. I'm not doing that. I can't afford to, to be in any more pain. Satan has already got me bound. I'm already, you're already, see, see what I told you? Sometimes more pain is necessary to alleviate pain. You can't afford to, no, nah, see, I'm already down bad, man. I can't, I can't go through that again. You, you really need to do this. Okay? My look is telling you. I'm going to go up. You go down. On the count of three. One, two, three. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? We only got a couple of windows here. I can only give you these instructions at certain points because you're so interconnected with Satan. There's only certain times that I get to give you a message about the plan that we getting ready to activate. And then when I give you the message and I give you the run through, then you go and tell on me. Oh my, you go and tell Satan himself what my next move was. This is me. I just can't believe these people. And then I realized I did the same thing. I did the exact same thing. So I'll come back. And we try it again. Us. You go low. I'm going to go high. 
You ready? Of course there's trepidation. <laughs> of course you're like, I don't know about this. You know, he gonna yank on that chain. It's all right. We got this. We got this. Come on, come on. One, two, three. Yank, yank. Oh, oh, run, run. <laughs> run, nigga, run. We can hear, yeah. Yeah, we made it. I told you. We pulled it out, boy. I tell you, we got that, man, boy. I tell you, we got that. If people really knew what it took to be an athlete in the kingdom of God. This part right here says, having been kept captive by him to do his will lets you know that everybody's competing. You're either a bond to God, a slave, not by chains, but in your love. When you love somebody, like you stuck with them. Not that they're making you, but your heart won't let it go. That's great if you're loving somebody holy, righteous. It's a wonderful place to be. But to love somebody or something unholy is the same type of bondage. Same type of bondage. So people that don't understand and they play too close to that penalty line, I put rules in place. If you want to date in my church, could you let me know? Can you come ask me before you do? The singles stay out of each other's houses, blah, 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 blah. Because some of y'all play too close to the line. Hello? Other people, they cross the line all the time. So the idea is you're going to have to play the race either way. You're already created. You can't be uncreated. You could die, but you can't be uncreated. You're going to run on somebody's team. Pick the winning team. That's all I'm trying to say. Says, I'm going to be bound by Satan and have to do stuff I don't want to do. Then in God, I'm going to have to be obedient and do stuff I don't want to do. I'd rather do it for the winning team. The team that's going to win in the end that will put all this training aside versus more penalty. You want to play and be the Super Bowl winner or you want to play and be the loser? With the bad t-shirts that are no longer any effective. Hello? Champions. No, we're not. Just throw that stuff away. Don't you all? Because, you know, they always had the shirts made. That, that also means there's thousands of shirts that are garbage. Vessels of dishonor. <laughs> to wear it is to indicate the loss, not the win. It was prepared beforehand in hopes that you might win, and now it is nothing but trash. You can't even hold on to it for the possibility of getting any increase because they weren't the winners. Nobody counts the losers. Christ is telling you, be on the winning side of the competition. Amen? Amen. Hello? Woo! It says, but know this. I'm almost done.
I'm almost done. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the, its power, and from such people turn away. He was like, there's a whole bunch of people that's running this race real reckless. Follow me. This is the way we should go. He says, no. <laughs> Don't be near them. They're going to trip you up. Don't be around them. Don't follow them. Don't go with them. Hello, somebody. He's letting you know you're going you're gonna to ruin your chances of winning this race. So for of this sort are those, now it says, now here's what it comes, these type of people creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. These kind of reckless runners, they show up. Right when you are overwhelmed with your silly self. Now, it's not that this doesn't happen to men. It's that the idea of women symbolically represents future and seed and promise. To capture the woman is to capture the mechanism that grows the life. So these, these various people creep into households to get you when you're overladen with sin. When you're feeling real down bad about your situation. You ran too close with them. And their job is to make you captive. To hold you there presently. It could be your own sin. You could be your own lure into captivity. Your past has now become the plague over this creeping into your new present, making you ashamed and embarrassed and laden. So now you is creeping to your own house, self-sabotaging yourself, pulling yourself away because you feel inadequate and insufficient. You give up. What's the point? Since I'm already there in it, I might as well go even further. Has anybody ever said that in the midst of one sin, then decide to maximize sin even more? I said, has anybody ever been there? Yeah. Let me see. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure. Hello? Yeah, this is you coming to get yourself, to lure yourself into captivity. Hello? I don't want to put too much emphasis on it having to be an actual person outside of you, but the idea here is that all of this... Uh, gullibleness and guilt is a terrible combination. To be gullible means that you don't really understand what is happening to you. And while you don't understand, you're emotional. Mm -hmm. 
That's two bad connections. Yes? Learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah? That's a big deal. We'll stop there. Yeah, we'll stop there. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That word knowledge, to know, is an intimacy. To know something is not just to have learned it mentally, but have received it through experience. So he's saying that they're always learning, but never really received it as a part of them, taking it into themselves. Like, I know what the Bible says. I know what's wrong, but. I know I shouldn't, but. See, this is a person that has learned, but never come into the knowledge of truth. You haven't had an intimate relationship with truth. So it stays as head knowledge, but you are not able to produce from that. To know, biblically, is to like have sex. To know Adam knew Eve and they had Cain and Abel. Does that make sense? So when the Bible uses words knowledge or to know, it means to take one in and to produce. So you may know something, but you're not able to actually produce what it is that you know. How many people have been there? Mm-hmm. Yes, this means you have learned, but you have not come into the knowledge. Yes? And when an athlete, when an athlete has to train in golf or any other sport, we can tell you over and over and over again. What makes a clear de delineation between whether someone would be a good athlete or not is something that they call mind-body connection. Okay, am I right? Okay, it's mind-body connection. And that means that a person will be a good physical athlete if, like you could play basketball really well, if you're able to do one thing. Is that, is that right, Ray? Is that, hello? You can know if you're going to be a real good athlete in basketball if you're able to do one thing right off the top. Do you know where your body is and can you get your body to do what your mind told it to do? Make sense? Now, Jewel is excellent mind-body connection in tennis, but in nothing else. Nothing else. <laughs> I'll use anybody as an example. In, in, in golf, in pure bar, they want to know, your hand goes here, 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 right? One, two, three. One, two, three, right? When people play that are not athletically capable, they go, one, three. <laughs> one, three. <laughs> and you slow them down, you go, no, one, two, three. And in their mind, they go, one, two, three. All right, I'm going to do it. One, three. <laughs> and they never, they never did it, right? Your hand's supposed to be here and here on, on two. Where's your hand? Here. <laughs> here. How do you, they don't have good mind-body connection, right? You don't know what your body is doing at a certain point. The better you, more you know what your body is doing at a certain point, the better. Yeah. One, two, three. <laughs> Tiny little precision moves. One, two, three. You knew right where your hand was, where it needed to be. Your body was there. Your abs was there. Your chest was locked. It was all great. 
Yes? Okay. Part of training an athlete is you first have to develop that connection. Before we could even talk about how you walk with God, can you show me your connection? Before we can discuss whether you should move it like this, like this, like this, like that, like this, before you can even, I want to learn how to do it. Let me see how easy it is for you to connect. This is why anything that breaks your connection with God is an enemy to you being an athlete of God. You can't mess up my ability to connect. Then how am I going to perform? Does that make sense? One of the reasons I don't sleep around, I don't want it to mess up my connection with God. That I might perform my reasonable service. Hello, somebody. So what is affecting your connection? Standing all over the house. Before we get into all the ways and all your trick moves, all your power plays, before we go into all of that, how is your connection? How are you connecting with the Father? Is it an ease? Do you have to wait for catastrophe? Do you have to be slowed down? Can you feel his presence here and there? What is preventing, from what you can tell, a more fluid connection with you and the Father? Mm 